0: In today's episode, we begin with a story. So related to that story, let me ask you some questions. What would you do if you had life dreams? You chased those dreams. You weren't recognized in this pursuit of your dreams the way you thought you should be. And then you spent a portion of your life trying to prove the doubters wrong. Oh, you know what that feels like? Then you may like the telling of this next story, all on the way to answering the question, why do we boo our heroes? Welcome to the Sky Pilot podcast that explores questions of faith, spirituality, and religion. I'm Dan Matthews, and I don't have all the answers, but I do enjoy the questions. Welcome to the podcast where every question is an invitation into a spiritual quest, and you're invited along for the journey. Allow me to begin by telling you the story. It is perhaps the most often told sports story in our current times in the United States. It's not as dramatic as, say, the story of Wilma Rudolph contracting polio as a child, wearing a brace on her weak leg until she was age 12, then going to win a bronze and three gold in her career as an Olympic track athlete. And I doubt this story that I'm about to tell you will be quite that enduring either. This one's far more about emotional and relationship challenges rather than the physical ones of, say, the Wilma Rudolph story. It starts with a young man named Tom who wanted to play quarterback. He was chosen out of high school to be a quarterback for one of the most revered and historic football programs in the nation, the University of Michigan, except he didn't start. He wasn't even close to starting. Matter of fact, when he joined the team his first year, he was considered the seventh best quarterback on the team's depth chart. The starting quarterback at the time led the team to an undefeated season and a national championship, and Tom understandably struggled with being, well, largely ignored and forgotten. He had dreams, hopes, and aspirations, but those matter little when, well, no one knows who you are and you're never being allowed any time to play during games. The difficulty of this experience was so crushing, was so profound for him, that he hired a sports psychologist to help him deal with his waning confidence, his growing anxiety, and his growing frustration at not being given a chance. When the starting star quarterback left for the NFL, Tom finally got his chance after some competition with another quarterback, and he did start. And he was ultimately named the team captain, though not until his senior year. During his playing time, he set some school records, but never got the kind of national attention or recognition that you would hope being a star quarterback or being the quarterback at one of our nation's biggest football programs. When it came time for him to graduate and move on to professional football, he, of course, entered the NFL draft. Now, college football players who want to play professionally go to something that's called the NFL Combine, which is a chance to be put through some drills and athletic tests so that their abilities can be both quantified and also observed. So this is the time for the scouts from all the professional teams to come and gather and watch the performances at the Combine so they can see all the prospective players in the same place. Let's just say that Tom's performance at the Combine was considered, well, rather lackluster at best. So instead of being a revered, sought-after selection in the draft, he wasn't chosen until the sixth round. He was the 199th selection chosen that year which was embarrassing and humbling. Now, let me put that in perspective for you. There are only about 250 players total who are drafted each year. And of those 250, the players who are chosen in the sixth round, about 70% of those are cut from the team before the first game ever begins. Meaning 70% of the people in the first round never make the team they are drafted by. Now, he went to New England and was on the roster behind Drew Bledsoe, where no one was particularly excited about Tom's presence. He was still in relative obscurity. Now, in his second year, he became starting quarterback and went on to a Super Bowl win that very year. And he, of course, would go on to be the most heralded quarterback of all time. The interesting thing about his journey is that here was a young man who went to play for a coach who himself would go on, has gone on to be considered the greatest NFL coach of all time. But this coach, Bill Belichick, may be a great coach in terms of his football knowledge, but he is, to say the least, well, not much of a people person. He tends to be emotionally distant and has always seen players as disposable. It doesn't matter how important you've been to the team in the past. The moment Belichick sees your star as waning or someone else as rising who's playing your position, he releases you or trades you. So the story often told of the New England Patriots has been for many years that Tom Brady wanted nothing more than an emotional connection and approval from his coach who was never going to give it to him because that just, that wasn't his style. Ultimately, Tom Brady, already considered in the pantheon of top quarterbacks and by most the top quarterback of all time, Tom Brady wanted to extend his time in New England. Coach Belichick wouldn't commit to him. So Brady went, as we all know, ultimately to Tampa Bay and amazingly won a Super Bowl his first year, absolutely cementing his place in football history. And finally, silencing the debate as to whether or not Belichick was the real talent and reason behind Brady's amazing success. Now, let's jump forward to the most anticipated football game of the entire year. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Tom Brady's new team, were to travel north to play the New England Patriots, Tom Brady's old team. The greatest quarterback of all time was going to play his old team, but that wasn't the storyline that everyone was talking about. This wasn't seen as Tom Brady visiting his old team, this was really seen as Tom Brady versus Bill Belichick, the showdown. This was seen as a modern-day trial by combat. Who was right? Who was better? Who had made the mistake? There was great debate as to who would win. The quarterback, who was seemingly at the height of his career, despite his age, or the tough football genius coach who perhaps had taught the quarterback everything he knew and was fully prepared for this game. It was the kind of soap opera build-up to a game that Hollywood would create for a climactic ending to a sports movie. Now, this has been one big build-up in this podcast to introduce the game. And let me assuage any fears you might have at this point. I'm not going to give you a play-by-play breakdown as to what happened on the field of play. If you didn't see it, Tampa Bay won 19-17 to in a game that was not near as exciting as the buildup that preceded it. So why all this talk about a football game that was anticlimactic? Because something interesting happened that I think is telling about our humanity and our relationship with our heroes. Before any NFL game is ever played, teams come out on the field and warm up. When Tom Brady, the amazing quarterback that had brought so much success to New England Patriots, he was starting quarterback for 18 years. Of those 18 years, he won 17 division titles, played in 13 AFC championship games, took the team to nine Super Bowls and won six of those. So when he returned to his old team's stadium and emerged on the field for warm up, he is cheered by the local fans and rightfully so right they had gone through so much together then as happens in football after both teams have warmed up they go back into the locker room wait for a little while until it's game time and then are announced later as they officially come onto the field for the game the same man who was cheered by the fans during warm up was booed by the fans as he took the field for the game now why is this important because tom brady is the biggest star new england has ever had in their football program. And yes, he's moved on to another team, but not really by his own choice. And ultimately, he moved because he felt he had no other choice. The biggest star they've ever had. And he's both cheered and booed by the same people in the same game. They like Tom Brady in theory as their one-time hero. They just don't like him that he moves on with life. And I think it's an occurrence worth noting and talking about because it says something about how humanity deals with our heroes. We like heroes. Okay, we love heroes. We like the idea of heroes. We love holding them up on a pedestal. And yet, when they do anything other than, will stand pretty for us on the pedestal, when they live out the difficulties of life, well, then we are quick to boo. We like the idea of a hero. We just don't like the reality of them in life. And once again, why is that important? Well, because I think it plays out in our relationship with our God, our ultimate hero. Look, we like the idea of God. and In the case of the Christian story, Jesus. I've seen countless pictures of the pastoral Jesus with a sheep in his hands or a sheep sitting on his lap or a sheep being carried lovingly across his shoulders. Jesus as peaceful animal lover out on the plains of Palestine. Who doesn't love that idea? We love and cheer at images like that. Jesus, the peaceful, lovable, passive, tranquil, religious hero. But, but, let Jesus stay like that, all right? Let Jesus stay the peaceful, lovable, passive, tranquil, religious hero, Jesus, just stay in your lane and out of ours. Now, I know there will be some challenging thoughts and comments here because there are those amongst us who will say, not me. I love an active Jesus telling the world to straighten up and fly right. And I agree. Most of us do love a Jesus who tells other people in the world how they could be living better lives. We just aren't as keen on the activist Jesus when he begins to meddle in our own lives. I'm reminded I can't count the number of times a parishioner has come up to me and said, you need to preach on this issue. And I've said, but you already believe that. Why do you want me to explain it and talk about it from the sermon when you already know what you believe about it? Why do you want a sermon on it? And the person will said, has always said, 100% of the time, because I think other people need to be told how to change in that way. In other words, if he's going to be an agent of change, well, Jesus needs to spend time telling other people to change, not me. I'm comfortable with where I am. But most of the change Jesus talked about was intended to the very people to whom he was speaking. And it only takes a quick reading of Scripture to realize that Jesus did that a lot. A lot. Jesus spent a lot of time talking about all sorts of aspects of our real lives. Say, what should we do with the financial resources that we have? Well, the Old Testament says, give 10% of what you have to God. Jesus actually says something more along the lines of, give everything you have away and then come and follow me. Okay, now that one makes me uncomfortable. Now, we don't boo Jesus. We just boo the church when it proclaims a Jesus who wants us to grow or change. Why can't Jesus just climb back into those stained glass windows and be the peaceful, passive hero who stays on his pedestal and wants nothing more than for everyone to be happy? Yet, that is not who this hero is. Jesus gets downright meddlesome when it comes to our personal lives, and he's pretty clear about what he expects. Well, what about letting us spend our time hating those we feel have wronged us? Can we at least do that? Jesus says, I say to you, listen, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Well, I don't don't much like that one. Okay, but I think we have a right to hate those who have gone beyond just hating me, right? I mean, those who have actively done me wrong, right? And Jesus says, Bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Okay, what if someone actually hits me? Surely I get to defend myself and seek vengeance. Jesus says, if anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. All right, let's move on to a different subject. How about the necessities of life? Food, shelter, clothing. They're things we have a right to, a right to protect and keep. Am I right? And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Oh, come on. Okay, I get You're asking us to be generous, but let's be honest, sometimes people don't deserve our generosity, so a little practicality needs to be in here as well. We have a right to withhold generosity from people who will not use it rightly. Now, I know I'm right on that one. Give to everyone who begs from you, and if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Oh my goodness, this is pretty difficult. And you may at this point say, look, Dan, do you do all these things? No, no, I don't. And I'm constantly struggling against kind of the all or nothing mentality of following Jesus. If I can't do some of it, I want to quit sometimes and not do any of it. And I do struggle with some of it. So I will at times catch myself, well, booing Jesus. Insisting that he get back on his pedestal and, well, let me go about my life while mostly ignoring his teachings for me. The interesting thing about the quotes from Jesus that I have just given you is that they all came from a single passage of Scripture. Now, there may be a temptation at this moment to say, oh, good, then this is just one little kind of moment of Jesus' teaching, and the rest of Scripture isn't like this. Well, no, actually, Jesus says these kinds of things all the time throughout the Gospel. But today, all I needed was one single passage And as if he knew our tendency to struggle, our tendency to boo when we're challenged by our Savior, our hero. He ends the passage with a simple, understandable, and yet still challenging starting place. Jesus says at the end of all of this do to others as you would have them do to you. For Christians, Jesus is the ultimate hero, one with whom, if we're honest, we struggle. And if you're not struggling with Jesus, You're just not really listening. And I do believe that Jesus wants me to give of all that I have, to love without qualification, to forgive with no limits. And yet, and yet those are goals that I struggle with every single day. And so he gives me a starting point to move towards those ultimate goals. He gives me a more practical way of beginning my journey towards being the person that Jesus is calling me to be. In every interaction, all I have to do is guide myself by this enduring principle. If I were to switch places with this person I'm interacting with at the moment, how would I want them to treat me? And then do that. Do to others as you would have them do to you. That's all for today. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you get notified of future episodes. Also, you can find me on Facebook and YouTube. Just search for Skypilot Faith Quest. And if you'd like to get in touch with me by email, my address is dan at skypilot.zone. On your spiritual journey, may you ask questions, seek answers, and boldly go wherever the quest takes you. Thanks for listening to Skypilot Faith Quest. I invite you to send me a question or leave a review. And remember, the sign of a strong faith, solid religion, or healthy spiritual journey is not certainty, but that you keep asking questions.